let me, I got a guy here who could sing. Hold on one second. Let me go here. And we are recording. I approve this. And so I got a surprise for you guys this morning. Um, I'm going to jump. I want you guys to take notes, or if you're in a position to take notes, take notes. I am going to, I had a guy who blessed me in Colombia, very uh, aligned with God. And he said, I have a blessing for you. And a crazy thing is, he said, I want you to read a chapter. So I read it on the plane. And you guys know I've been wanting to pick chapters, right? Or check, pick, pick verses because Psalms is just way too big. So I want you to write down Psalms 103. That's where we're going today. He said, I, actually, I'm going to say it exactly. He said, I have a gift for you. And so the gift is Psalms 103. So if you're stable as Dwayne and Francisco are, everybody else, your picture's covered, so I don't know what the heck you're doing. Um, I want you to put up Psalms 103. I'm going to go there. Um, I want to make sure I'm clear. Francisco, can you hear me clearly? Perfecto. Okay, so I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go in on this one chapter. And so, go here, go here, and we're going to go into Psalms 103, which was a gift to me. And I actually broke it down and read it thoroughly. And it was really quite interesting. Muy interesante, Catiz. And so, it's Psalms 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul of David. And 103, it reads like as such. It's actually about, not about, it's exactly 22, uh, 22 verses. And 103 reads like this. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul of David. So it goes, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the earth is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And it is no, and, and, it, and its place knows it's no, it's no more, it's no more. 
but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you, might, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now in that, I'm sharing, let me go here. And I want to share this for a second. Why this is so powerful is because I, if you guys know, I had, intent, I had no intentions of doing scripture this morning. I said, give me until Monday. And so this was impromptu. And what was crazy is how God worked this weekend uh, between literally Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and every person's life that I crossed, either they were pouring into me or I was pouring into them. I had a complete cry fest before I left. Um, there were people who were pitted, I'm going to say pitted against me that came a full 360 degree circle. And then when I say a 360 degree circle, that means that they have been told or shared information over the course of time where they were severed from me because they were uncertain. And as we know, confused people do nothing. But the way God worked over the course of this t past term, some of the greatest leaders turned full circle and said, we need to follow you and spent the last 48 hours with me and ended up in prayer and conversation and crying in a way that I just, it just kept, it just kept happening. It was crazy. And, you know, I, the blessings just kept pouring for me to touch other people. And then they asked for my vision, which I very rarely, rarely, rarely share which is how this verse came about. Because part of my vision is that if God, if you work through me, if you allow me to be the vessel, if you allow me to be the instrument, part of my dream of what I, and when I say dream, you know, we do our dreams while we're awake, that we build towards. And this part of my life, in this season as I move into the second half of my life, is that I can have a standing ovation of angels for the work that I do that I want to I make good on everything that I didn't do. Kiki, mute your phone, please. Um, that I want to make good on everything that I didn't do in the first half when we talk about character versus charisma, as you guys have heard me make reference to. That instead of it being about me, I want it to be about him and how I do his work. And so through all of that, when I got on the plane today, a brother named Jake which is a deeper story I'll share tomorrow, was like, I want to bless you and here's your gift. And that's how this verse came about. So I want to finish and really break this down, how this works. Check this out. So as I go into it and you understand Psalms 103, it's called, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Somebody has their phone completely. It's Come on, you guys, mute your phone. Okay, you guys with me? Okay, so check this out. So, because I really want to, I really want to share this. So it says, because there's so much noise in my own background. Background, I can't handle anybody else's. Um, 
But Psalms 103 starts with, bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalm is simply titled a Psalm of David, as all of them are, but this one specifically. We don't know the circumstances in which it was written, but since David was a man who knew the grace and deliverance of God many times over, somebody's phone is still not muted. Please mute your phone. Here, let me just, let me just help you guys out so I don't get frustrated. Okay, here we go. It taps into, we should attribute it to the later years when he had a higher sense of a preciousness, a pardon, because a keener sense of sin then in his younger days, his clear sense of the frailty of life indicates his weaker years. He also does the very fullness of his praisefulness and gratitude. So this is a breakdown and a summary of something that I pulled up. And it says, it is perhaps the most perfect song of pure praise to be found in the Bible. Through centuries, it has been sung by glad hearts. And today is as fresh and full of beauty as ever. It is the most, most, uh, I don't want to say, I, I want to say it, I want to say it right, right, phonetically correct and enunciated properly. The most sung song ever in all of Psalms is 103, is what I dug up. And it breaks down in verse one and two, the blessing God for all his benefits reasons to bless and honor God, finding the reasons to bless and honor God. So David did not mean this in the sense that a greater bestows a blessing on a lesser. God is infinitely greater than man. And in this sense, man could never give a blessing to God. David meant this is in the sense that it blessed and honored God when his creatures praised him and thanked him appropriately. See, as it goes into one and two, David called upon his soul. He called upon his soul to bless Yahweh. It was as if David looked at his soul and understood that it was not praising God enough. He called upon his soul to do more. That means he reached deeper and deeper beyond his physical side to something that was so spiritual. See, David understood that true worship was something deeply inward of the soul it is not just about the outward forms of expression but also about something real from the soul and what do i tell you guys all the time if you don't reach the heart you'll never start right so you're talking about being able to reach somebody's spirit soul music is the is the very soul of music that's why when we hear music it just takes us to a whole other place when it hits our spirit let others murmur but thou bless. Let others bless themselves and their idols, but do thou bless the Lord. Let others use only their tongues, but as for me, I will cry, bless the Lord, O my soul. See, all that is within me, bless his holy name. David understood, he also understood that worship had to be more than inward. It had to be offered as completely possible. He wanted everything, not some, not a little bit, everything within to praise God. We often praise and thank God with a half heart and a half effort or even less sometimes. But David called for everything within himself to give complete honor. And that's what I've been doing for like the last three days. 
when you look at it, all that is within me is what a rebuke to much of what passes for praise in our assemblies. We come to church, but we leave our minds at home. We hear of God's grace, but our hearts have been hardened by critical and carping spirit. The singer addresses himself. He realizes that he has power over himself, that he is able to give or to withhold that which is due to God. David's harp was not often out of tune than what was in sequence to his heart, which here he is setting right. He's putting everything in alignment. That's everything about our life is putting things in alignment, a spiritual chiropractor. That's what we're looking at. That's what I'm looking at. The one value of these opening words is that they show us that worship is not involuntary or automatic. It calls for the coordination of all of our powers. This, it's like going into a championship game. You want to make sure all your senses, all your mind, all your soul is in alignment with the win, if that makes sense. Bless his holy name. Only a holy man can delight in holy things. Holiness is the terror of unholy men. They love sin and count it in liberty. But holiness is to them a slavery. If we be saints, we shall bless God for his holiness. So as it moves forward, it goes into bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. See, in the pattern of the Hebrew poetry, David used repetition for emphasis, as many leaders do, as you hear me speak and say things over and over again. He then added an important idea, that his praise and honor to God should be given unto him for rational reasons, not on the basis of mere emotion, or excitement. There are two benefits given by God unto his people, and they must not be forgotten. Instead, they should use this remembrance of those things as reasons to praise. Second Chronicles 32.25 described a man who did not forget God's benefit, at least for a time, but Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. See, we got to understand he selects a few of the choicest pearls from the casket of divine love, threads them on the string of memory, and hangs them about the neck of gratitude. As we looked at in Proverbs, everything is about stringing it and tying it to your neck so it is so close to you. Now, if we look at three through five, blessings God who redeems. Blessing God who redeems. As we look at that, one of the greatest benefits mentioned in the previous verse is the forgiveness of all our sins. When the magnitude of our sin and the righteousness of God is understood, this forgiveness is a staggering reason for praise and honor to God. Significantly, this is the benefit listed first. First, this is the first thing that is listed in everything that he's talking about. See, in David's mind, the most important thing was to have sins forgiven, even more important than physical healing. The profound consciousness of sin, which is what, which is, it was one aim of the law to evoke. That's what they were trying to bring out, what they were trying to rise up on, underlies the psalmist's praise. And he who does not feel that no blessing could come from heaven unless forgiveness clears the way for them, has yet to learn the deepest music of thankfulness. Again, we're talking about Psalms, a song, we're talking about music, who heals all your diseases. See, another great benefit is God's care for our body. He brings healing to us in this life through natural, scientific, and miraculous ways. He promises, he promises, he promises ultimate healing for all his people in the age to come. 
that's something to really pay attention to. See, many, if not most, commentators understand these diseases as spiritual in nature. That means you have created them yourself. Sickness, you created for yourself. Oppression, you created for yourself. Depression, you created for yourself. Suppression, you created amongst yourself. What is pride but lunacy? What is lust but leprosy? What is sloth but a dead palsy? Perhaps there are spiritual maladies similar to all corporal ones. See, all dead ones. While it is true that sin and its effects must be healed in us, it is more probable to see these diseases as first of the body and of the soul by spiritual analogy. Some suggest, some people talk about, that David is speaking about spiritual illness, such as the burdens of sin, but that is not it. That's not all we're talking about here. I think he's really speaking of diseases. He is saying that when we are healed, as we are often, from a cough, a cold, a flu, when we are healed, it is God who has done it. He is the healer of the body. I just had this conversation last night. He is my doctor. I'm not counting on that doctor I go to for just understanding what's going on in the physical world. But he can't heal me because that's in the spiritual world. That goes into a whole nother DNA that goes beyond the physical bone structure, blood structure, blood structure. See, who redeems your life from destruction. Many know the powerful sense of God's rescue from sure destruction. There are many calamities that are spared the child of God, whether they be known or not known to one who is rescued. How many times have we talked about miracles? Somebody I was, I was ministering to last night, and he said, he said, I'm reaching for God. I see God, but I'm not having a connection. I said, don't worry, just keep reaching. He does not believe you yet. He doesn't see you yet. Another one was sitting up there and she's just like, I'm trying to do my business. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. I can't, I, for some reason, I'm just, I, 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 I can't, I don't know how to overcome this, this. I said, okay, now you're talking into my spirit. I'm going to tell you what gifts God has given me. You have a block and something is pissing you off. Something's blocking you because you don't want to talk about it. You're used to handling everything by yourself. You're so strong in your own alpha state that you don't want help and you don't want to ask for help. And in turn, it's actually starting to make you internally sick, spiritually sick, which is blocking you from anything that you could ever do. It has nothing to do with your business. It's amazing how people do that to themselves, that they actually make themselves spiritually sick and they don't catch it until they're physically sick. And then they want to know why it takes so long for them to get well. God is talking. This is not me. Listen to what I'm saying, Linda. Persevere. I mean, when you look at pres pres preservation, right? When you look about preserving yourself from destruction, how go well, properly redemption. Hagoel, that is a Hebrew word, H-A-G-G-O-E-L. Hagoel, preservation from destruction, properly stated, redemption of life by the kinsman, possibly looking forward in the spirit of prophecy to him who become partakers of our flesh and blood, that he might have the right to redeem our souls from death by dying in our dead. That's Jesus dying on the cross. He replaced all your illnesses, all your weaknesses, all your sins with himself. But we in turn have the power of choice. In turn, we internally create our own demise who crowned you with the loving kindness and tender mercies. God's greatness extends beyond sparing us from sin, disease, or trouble. It also gives us a positive sense we are crowned with his great love and mercy. Somebody better listen to me today. Six and seven. 
blessing God who is righteous. See, in the previous section, David described the greatness of God in his work and to the individual. That's what I just told you about. Yet God also shows his greatness in bringing righteousness and justice to our societies. He moves from the body and the individual to the community and the village. See, when we get this, we understand that God could be content to hide himself, but that's our own perception. Instead, he wanted to make known his way and his acts. He never was hiding. We're the ones who couldn't see him. Hence, you got you know, footsteps. When you look at 8 through 10, blessing God who is gracious. Now we're talking about blessing God who is gracious. When you look at that, then you're looking at in the previous lines, David described the righteousness and justice of God. Those aspects of God's character are true, but so also are his mercy and graciousness. His anger comes from slowly. Look, look at this. It's going to come. His graciousness is going to come. It always comes. But slowly and after much mercy has been shown. That's why we ask him for please give us your mercy. Give us your grace. Give us your love. All the world tastes of his sparing mercy. Those who hear the gospel, really hear, listen, listen, listen to the gospel, partake of his inviting mercy. The saints live by his saving mercy, are preserved by his upholding mercy, are cheered by his consoling mercy, and will enter heaven through his infinite and everlasting what? You better ask somebody, his mercy. See, when we talk about abounding in mercy, that's part of the verse. Listen to me. The sense is that David is quoting from God's revelation of himself to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Exodus 34, 6. He will not always strive with us. Back to what we're talking about here in this Psalms 103. These are very human terms, points that contrast between God's generosity and heavy-handed wrath of man who loves to keep his quarrels going. Now understand this. It translates a term. It, it goes into translation of a term much used for disputes, especially in law, and to nurse his grievances. As we move into 11 and 12, the greater of God's gracious forgiveness then we understand, for as the heavens are high above the earth. This is a description of the abounding mercy of God mentioned in Psalms 103.8. The distance from the earth to the heavens measures the greatness of his mercy towards those who fear him. By instinct, we often think of God's mercy as less than it really is. Stick with me. There were three concepts of heaven in the ancient Bible, in the ancient biblical world. The first Heaven is blue sky, the atmosphere with its sun. The second heaven is the night sky, the stars and the constellations. The third heaven is the place where God dwells and is enthroned, I want to say enrolled, enthroned. It's interesting to wonder which of the three concepts of heaven David had in mind with this one wonderful concept. You got to understand, you don't got to look for God too hard. I mean, if you want to go home, just keep going up through the sky. It's funny how over the last week, I'm being very transparent here. Every time I pray before I talk to somebody, I'm actually looking at clouds. I see his face. I see different configurations. I can see a frown on his face. I can see a smile on his face. I can see him saying, thank you for talking to me before you talk to these people because it is not of you who I want to talk. It's amazing. I really is freaking amazing. I cannot, I can, I can, I can make this up. I couldn't write it. So far as the east is, 
from the West. This is a description of the great forgiveness of God mentioned in Psalms 103.10. We have no idea, no idea if David knew the shape of the earth, but the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write this did, and the nature of the earth and on our way of describing direction makes this statement more wonderful. See, this is much greater than saying so far as the north is from the south. So far has he removed our transgressions from us, right behind so far as the east is from the west. It's much deeper than the north to the south. If you travel north on a globe, as soon as you go over the North Pole, you begin to travel south. But if you travel east, you will continue east, what, forever. See, given the true shape of the earth, east and west never meet. And this is how far God has removed our sins from us. I hope somebody's getting how deep this really is and the depth of this. This is cray cray. As the east and the west can never meet in one point, but be forever at the same distance from each other. So our sins and their decreed punishment are removed to an internal distance by his mercy. At this day, God loves us, and he will love us forever and ever, 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 ever. He loves us infinitely, and he could not love us more than if we had never fallen. See, 13 and 14, blessing God who shows great sympathy. When you understand this, David continues to describe the abounding mercy and goodness of God, the way that a good father cares for and even pities his children, and the frailty and weaknesses, so the Lord pities those who fear him. We think of a loving father dealing with his tired children. He does not demand more of them than they can perform, but with care takes into account their weaknesses. He comforts them and measures his expectations according to his wisdom and compassion. He pities our childish ignorance. Listen to me. I'm going to give you some bullet points here. and I'm going to count them down to four or five. He pities our childish ignorances. He pities our childlike weaknesses. He pities our childlike foolishnesses. He pities our childlike naughtiness. He pities our childlike stumbles and falls. He pities the pain of his children. Six, he pities the child when another has wronged them. Seven, he pities the fears of his children. Eight, see, for it is the present tense that we're talking about and carries the idea of continuity, continuity. It continues. It's a continuation. At this very moment, he is now pitying them for that fear of him. Though he knows your trials, each yours and mine of our trials will work for your good, he pities us. Though he knows that there is sin in us, which perhaps may require this rough discipline, hence the crap that we're going through, you be sanctified, yet be pitied. He is pitying us. Though he can hear the music of heaven, the songs and glees that will ultimately come of our present sighs and griefs and our passion and our prayers, yet still he pities those groans and the wells of our own. We may lose ourselves of Amit, the aptitudes of the lofty, wild, stretching sky, but this emblem of paternal love, it is a fatherly love. Listen to what I'm saying. Go straight to a what? the heart, because if you don't reach the heart, better listen to somebody, a pitying God. He is pitying us. What can be added to that? The wise reaction to this, fear the Lord. That's what could be added. How much better to be on the side of his pity and compassion than on the side of his anger and or righteous judgment? I don't know. It's just a question. You might want to ask yourself.
repent of that. See, the pity and the compassion of God towards those who fear him is rooted in his knowledge and understanding of our inherent weaknesses and impertinence and our transience. See, the word rendered frame is literally formation or fashioning and comes from the same root of the verb employed in Genesis 2-7 to describe man's creation, his creation, how he was formed. The Lord God formed formed a man of the dust of the ground. It is also used for the potter's action in molding earthen vessels and putting us, what do we say? We are his clay, Isaiah 29, 16. Somebody better read it. So in the next clause, dust carries on the allusion to Genesis and the general idea conveyed is that of frailty. The consideration of man's frail and perish as he perish of perishable estate weighs with the Almighty and prevails upon him to spare his creature. We are all creatures. He said he gives us dominion over all creatures. We being at the top of the food chain, we're still a creature, his creatures. Somebody better ask somebody. 15 through 18, contrast that display the greatness of God. Contrast, the contrast between man's moment and God's per, uh, permanence. See, David expanded on the thought of man's weak frame and dust-like nature. Humanity is so transient that his days are like grass. Did you get that part in that, in that scripture? I said it fast. His days like grass and like a flower of the field that blooms one day and withers the next. When the flower is gone, virtually nothing remains. Its place remembers it no more. That's in that verse, by the way, a flower of the field, which is more exposed to winds and other violences than the flowers of the garden, which are secured by the art and care of the gardener. See, the flower which faded in Adam blooms anew in Christ, never to fade again. Listen to me. Listen, listen. But the mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. That's the scripture. This is true of God's mercy and God himself. The source of mercy, his hest, covenant, love, loyal, kindness, endures from all ages to all ages. Those who fear him receive the benefit of his everlasting mercy as do the children's children. God's love does not alter with our alterings or change with our changes. Does the mother's love fluctuate with the moods of her sick babe? No, it does not. There's never a time when he did not love us. His mercy is from everlasting, nor a time when he will love you less is it to be what? Everlasting. To such keep his covenant. These are promises. That's a covenant. Promise of everlasting love and mercy are given with conditions. They are given with conditions. The promises are made to those who fear him, to those who keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments. Forgive me for yelling. I get a little anxious about this. Let's get into verse 19, the contrast between Yahweh and all creation. See, David celebrated God's secure reign from heaven. God is enthroned in heaven beyond the troubles and the corruptions of earth. It is established and will be never moved. Never like never ever, like never ever. And his kingdom rules over all. Did you get that part of the scripture? There is an internal contrast between the ruler and the ruled. That's E-D, ruled. There is no aspect of the universe that is not under his reign. When 
you guys, you might get this so far. Let's just jump into 20 to 22. So y'all get me because I'm moving fast, but it's all just flowing through me like blood. And it's like being an adrenaline high, 20 to 22, the contrast between God and his angels. This is why the man gave it to me. The anointed will see and hear and then deliver. Listen to what I'm saying as to what I said as far as what I wanted, as far as the standing ovation, the contrast between God and angels. See, David began the psalm by telling his own soul to bless the Lord, but he knew the praise and honor to God should go beyond what he could give. It should extend all the way to the angels, and David boldly told them to also bless the Lord. The angels are strong and obedient, but even they should bless the Lord, giving him praise and honor. The angels also make up God's hosts his heavenly army and under his command and those who do not uh, who do his pleasure as God's soldiers they should give him the honor and praise due to him David extended the call to honor and praise God further than the angels to all all, all of God's works in all places of his dominion all of his works see his song is no solo for all creation is singing everybody is singing total lamenta everybody everybody just like what like everybody like everybody totals or will sing with him but his voice like every other has its own part to add like an orchestra its own benefit its own its, its own instrument to celebrate and its own access to the to the attentiveness of the ear of god that tentative god is listening he's sitting there in the quiet he's sitting there in the pit of the concert see man is but little yet placing his hands upon the keys of great organ of the universe he wakes it to thunders of adoration redeemed man is the voice of nature the priest in the in the temple of the creation the presenter in the worship of the universe it, it just doesn't get any better david ended the psalm this is the way he ended the psalm the same way he began it with a call to his own soul to bless god Bless the Lord, oh my soul. His own soul to bless God, giving him the honor and praise that was due to him. After the many reasons given in Psalm 103, David had more reasons to bless the Lord at the end of the psalm to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, Thank you. Ah. I don't even have a meal after that one. I don't know about y'all, but I'm like really, 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 really full. Like, I'm done. I approve this message. That's like out of control. I am going to stop that recording, and that's the meal for Sunday. That's the meal for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for me. And I approve the message, but 